You're listening to Extra Textual. This is a show where we talk about an idea, concept, theme, trend, and relate it to some kind of media like film, TV, video games, books, music, and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Extra Textual. Uh, I'm Eli Steenlidge, and with me is... Jeremy Holiday. And on this episode, we're kind of taking part two of our uh, influences talk, or inspiration um, that we've come to, uh, with our request to dive a little bit deeper into what it means yep, yeah. when we talk about our influences, or when we say, uh, this film really influenced me yeah. um, in the past in some way. Uh, so we're kind of talking as a little more of filmmakers than... Um, critics of culture and uh, film than we normally is, is that that's a what tone, we do, is right? that a tone of voice that's that's yeah uh, so yeah we're kind of talking about being uh, more creative or how things have influenced us yeah. um, in our lives coming from film so uh, in, the, in, in part one we talked a little bit about like the, the hybrid document like how documentary influence things and also mm-hmm. films are like a hybrid between the two of them yeah. um, and recently at the Wisconsin Film Festival I saw a fabulous film called American Animals hmm. um, and it's this it's a documentary mm-hmm. um, with a heavy amount of recreation about these fantastically interesting gentlemen mm-hmm. who conceived this plan when they're in, in, in uh, college to steal their library's rare books. Mm. And these rare books, one of the ones I talk about are like a, um, uh, like Darwin's Origin of Species. Okay. Um, and uh, the central piece, or the sort of centerpiece, is a, uh, dr- like giant books that uh, Mr. Audubon did when he was mm. you know, wandering the U.S. I mean, drawing birds. Yeah. You know, millions of dollars. And there's there's a lot of great things about it, but um, it's it's it starts off with sort of like people talking, mm-hmm. and then it goes into recreation, and there's like a whole it seems like a whole narrative story, you know, yeah. of people trade, you know, well acted, mm-hmm. interesting. Um, there's a caper. I mean, it, it, it's yeah, a crime yeah. story. Right. It first off starts off, starts off with these two people, then you get more people involved in the story, and it's just fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's also um, they also in. And the pro- they, they sort of design the crime so nobody gets hurt, mm-hmm. but somebody ends up getting hurt. And it, it, it's a it's a film that sort of touches on a lot of different uh, emotional modes. Yeah. Um, but at one point in the beginning, they're like two people, the two main people are like being interviewed and they're telling like what happened. It's like, well, this is how the story started or this guy came up with a crime and they do opposite recreations and they're like, one guy's like, oh, it happened in the car. They're like, oh, it happened at a party. <laughs> and so like they kind of mess up like the, the, the recreations mm-hmm. sort of like act as if they're talking to each other and, yeah, yeah. and, and it's really fun the way that they sort of mess with it. Um, you know, and it, it, it's a documentary heavy at first, then we have like a narrative heavy section and then sort of the end when you're sort of revealing like all the details about what happened afterwards. Um, there's um, it's more uh, documented like you hear a lot more talking and there's also this like um, I mean I'll, I'll just spoil it for some people I mean <laughs> it may, it's a wonderful film but like well I, I won't spoil it but I'll say that um, at the end um, you, you learn some information that makes you sort of question these elements of the story that you know and like one person knows yeah and you don't like you know like you know you, you, you I mean there's not a lot of the story that's ambiguous hmm. um, but there are a few things that you're led to believe um, certainly through recreation in the earlier part of the film that yeah. happened mm-hmm. and it's not clear that they actually happened hmm. and you see them 
you know, I mean, part of it revolves around um, uh, the, the this fantastical character comes with crazy ideas. Yeah. Um, trying to find a fence for mm-hmm. their, you know, someone to sell their stolen property to. Mm-hmm. You know, and they go to the Netherlands and we see the thing. And like, it's not clear that that actually happened. <laughs> and we yeah. see we see both in recreation, both him going there and talking to those men mm-hmm. and also him going to the airport and then turning around <laughs> and leaving. Yeah. Um, and we don't, you know, it, that part isn't central to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's central is important for a lot of the characters who decided to do the crime mm. because it, 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 it made it very real. You know, yeah. he went to the Netherlands, he talked to these guys. You know, and like nobody even questions it. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the film, they're like, well, we don't actually know what that happened. Yeah. Um, which is th- that sort of hybrid style I also love. There's this, and so like one of the things I also love was, I mean, I say deep, was deeply influential on me, yeah. um, is a lot of Indian cinema. And some of it, like what the film about talk about, um, called uh, Cajona Piaje is uh, like a what you would call like a classic Bollywood film. Okay. Three hours long, intermission in the middle, mm-hmm. love story, song and dance, whatever. But at the beginning of it, there's like this documentary segment or mm-hmm. a, a quasi-documentary yeah. segment where they just ask people like, what is love? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like there's this yeah. old couple and then there's this young guy and then there's a, you know, a couple other people um, you know, a good like you know, five or six minutes of what is love, you know. Just and, like love actually, right? Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> um, uh, and then it sort of goes into this sort of epic long film. Yeah. Um, and, and I had always, I mean, there's, this, there's a film I've been making in the back of my head for years, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, it's essentially a sort of like, it, it's a straightforward documentary yeah. about like eight couples or something. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, me, them telling their stories about how they met. Yeah, you know, because I've always, I mean, it's something that as I, uh, as I meet people and I, you know, if, whether they're a couple or a series of friends or you know, I'm always like, all right, where'd y'all meet? Right, right. You know, and, yeah, and yeah. sometimes the stories are fantastic, you know, like mm-hmm. really exciting. Sometimes right. it's kind of like, yeah, we've been dating since high school, you know, mm-hmm. dating since high school, or we've been friends since forever. But I always find those stories interesting, mm-hmm. um, and I also think, I mean. You know, as, as as you get married, if you do that, and have kids, if you do that, you know, your relationship morphs and changes into a whole lot of different things over mm-hmm. the time. And I think it's a it's an interesting act for anyone to go back and think about what what, 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 was, in it, what was the initial draw, yeah, yeah. you know, at the beginning. Um, I also think that people, in general, don't tell their stories as much Enough? as yeah. I think is helpful for them mm-hmm. I, mean, I was just having a really good conversation with a, a friend of mine the other day which I haven't talked about who's a vet and is working on a, a project uh, through an organization called uh, Team Red, White and Blue it's sort of like a vet helping vets organization they do a lot mm-hmm. of physical stuff a lot of positive sports stuff but they also have like a big leadership training program mm-hmm. um, and storytelling is a component of it you know yeah. both like telling your own story helping coach others tell their stories um, and he was just telling me about how transformative telling his story was. Mm. And I think that in being, you know, like in, in all the stages, going from figuring it out to yeah. being ready to tell it, to being mm-hmm. over ready to tell it, to telling it, you know, and, right. to, and to having someone hear it and sort of share that with it. And I think that, um, you know, and it, part of my inspiration is the beginning of this film mm-hmm. where, like, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a, it, I mean, it's a fun happy dance right. story, you know, about yeah, yeah. two unlucky kids in love in India. <laughs> 
Um, which I'm just a sucker for. I love that stuff. <laughs> you know, and the dance numbers are off. You know, amazing. And yeah. this, I think, I think this is. I don't know for certain because I'm not as much of a scholar of that. But I think it is the debut film of, um, like, uh, uh, like late '90s uh, Hindi film star Bhutik Roshan, who's mm. an amazing dancer. Yeah. He also has two thumbs, but it's mm. it's it's considered a th- like a sign of luck, <laughs> um, like a sign of luck. Um, and because like it usually it would be cut off in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So do some sort of double thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, he's right beside each other. Yeah. Um, he's an amazing dancer. He's an amazing dancer. Um, I mean, like, uh, I agree. I'm sort of fascinated by people just, like, simply telling stories. Yeah. Like, even hearing them um, tell stories. And I think that's one reason I like, like, the radio format or the podcasting format is yeah. that you don't have anything else there. Yeah. But I think even seeing them, you know, visually, like, on film also adds a lot to... Uh, to that process and I think that can be really fa- I mean I, I agree like we uh, I, I'm not like I love technology so I'm not so like scared of it but I think in some ways we like can capture our lives so much easier that we forget to like tell the story of it you know yeah We're like yeah I got a video of that birthday or like you know yeah. that vacation and for most of history, that's how you remember things, right? Or, like, yeah. how you created a narrative of what your life was. Or, like, yeah. even to reflect on, um, like, how you can learn lessons right. from your life and learn who you are. And I know, similar to what you were explaining um, with your friend, uh, The Moth, um, yeah. I know they do a program with, like, high school students uh, like in inner city areas to help them. And I think it just helps kids think about like, what is my life going to be? Because I have to sort of tell it as a story. And so like, what are the next point in that story instead of me just sort of like fumbling through life, which I know, um, is how I felt when I was a teenager, probably, uh, didn't really have that foresight to think about it. So I think, yeah, simple storytelling, um, can still be really powerful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh... But, Indian song and dance. Oh, in, yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, um, I mean, one of the, when I was uh, in high school, yeah. um, and in charge of the yearbook, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I took a lot of photographs. Yeah. I was really, and I was really into, like, photography. Mm-hmm. Particularly, like, you know, certain era. French photography, um, but certainly, like, uh, it was some of the first um, documentary style mm. I really came in contact. Or, like, or like this sort of, like, verite, like, you know, I, there's this French photographer named uh, Robert Doisneau, who's very famous. He has okay. very famous photographs. But they're all, like, of, uh, they're, like, candidates. Mm-hmm. They're, like, I mean, some of them, I, I assume, are staged a little bit. But they're mainly from, like, really fantastic looking things that he happened to cross when he was in Paris. Some of them yeah. family. And I sort of and I fell in love with that style. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and it still influences the work that I did today. You know, like it's like and I don't know I don't know exactly how he worked. Mm-hmm. Um but I do know that I, I imagined him sort of stalking around Paris. Yeah. Uh waiting <laughs> for these fantastical things to happen. Yeah. You know, and there's like there, one of there's a famous photograph of like a large group of men 
moving like the statue of a woman, you know, mm-hmm. and so like one man has his hand on her breast and the rest, you know, and, and it's yeah. this absurd looking thing. Right. And it's not it's not staged, it's just a remarkable moment mm-hmm. that he happened to Very be there for. Yeah. Um, but there was a time like when I went to college that I just stopped taking photographs, mm. like on purpose. Mm. Like I, you know, because I spent so much time, um, you know, trying to disappear mm. in, in, in a given moment or yeah. scene, trying to like capture something and mm. waiting and being silent for that to happen. Yeah. And I was like, you know, and also like the emotions I was dealing with at the time, <laughs> you know, were like very much related to that. And I right. was like, I want to be present. Present. You know, I, I yeah, and I want to stop being forced to take photos. This is before the internet, before not before the internet, but before mm-hmm. like social media, mm-hmm. you know, comes about. And I often feel that compulsion now too. Like, can I just non? Can I just have like an awesome moment in my life that's not Instagrammed? Yeah, yeah, you know, and sure. you know, because it does it really happen? Yeah, you know, but it, it it does give you a different responsibility because then you tell you have the responsibility of well, not you have the option of telling that story when and where it's appropriate because mm-hmm. yeah i was surprised by when i got married and i was thinking about most people get a videographer these days yeah. um to record it and that's we, how people like we, us make money yeah that's right yeah and uh my wife does photography so she got a friend to do the photography mm-hmm. but when we went to it i was like yeah i'm not really that concerned about it i think i just want to be able to like yeah. have this in my memory and not yeah. Because I will start to think about like, oh, did you capture this? Did you get yeah, this? Yeah, you got to shut that? that off. And so I just said like, I'm not going to worry about it. It's just going to be like what it is. And I'm going to be in that moment um, to remember it. So yeah, I definitely know what you're saying. Yeah. So, or sometimes I hide behind the camera. Like when I've traveled sometimes, yeah, it's yeah, easier yeah. to like just be behind that camera than like jump into mm-hmm. that moment for sure. So... um I mean, I've talked before about some of uh, Indian films that were influences on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so, uh, it sometimes is hard to pick uh, an individual film because I sort of when I'm, my introduction to like the, to Bollywood film. I mean, not to say that, there's a lot that are very similar, mm-hmm. um, and certainly there are different, uh, many different directors, different folks. You know, there's uh, yeah. but there's um, what I what I loved most about the genre in general was like that there were musicals with the dance summers were over the top and fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, that they weren't shy. I mean, like, they don't like it's it's voiceover mm-hmm. singing, right. like you know, and it's you know, they, you just get the best dancers to dance, get the best singers to sing. <laughs> Um, and you make this wonderful, you know, spectacular thing. Um, and it also, like, you know, I mean, and it dealt with, uh, the subject matter often dealt with, like, a star-crossed lovers, which I'm just a sucker for. Like, I just, I just love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and there was something about it. And But, but there's also, in, in a lot of the films of the late 90s, um, you know, in early 2000s, um, there's a whole, there's like a, they were just designed to be, um, internationally they were designed for many audiences simultaneously mm. like the the audience that the language you know like the, the hindi audience that speaks the language they're designed mm. for other languages for other language groups in india which has cultural references but are not actually in the language they're designed for people that don't speak the language and watch it on vcd in mm-hmm. thailand and malaysia and other places and mm-hmm. just enjoy the people and the story. So right. you have to so it has to convey information without words, just sort of like by what the people are doing in mm-hmm. space, which is, reminds me of like old some old Japanese films, like you know, based yeah. on like where they are describes where their position is in society. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also designed for like non resident Indians who are like and for them like the questions of citizenship and um 
diaspora and all that stuff is really really important and it's often it's it's some, some sometimes it's explicit sometimes it's deeply coded in there but it's mm-hmm. this 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 three hour story that is designed to be viewed fully satisfied you know like in fully satisfying way by many many different audiences right you know and I think that there's some U.S. films that are made like that mm-hmm. that have like a domestic and an international appeal. But nothing, uh, I mean, nothing that I had ever seen was like right this there, kind yeah. of stuff. Where like you can literally show it to seven different, seven very different groups of people and, and see elements that were put in there for them. Mm. You know, and so like um, <clears throat> that was just, that was always like an, an inspiration element. Like, oh, yeah. like, you know, it's a, it's a different way. Because Hollywood, Hollywood is like, we do Hollywood. Right. You like it? All right. You know, whereas Bollywood is like, you know, because India is like a tremendously diverse place, linguistically mm-hmm. and culturally, much more so than the United States. I mean, the United States has a lot of diversity, but like there are more language groups, you know, right. spoken in right. India than in anywhere else in the world. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. um, you can look that up. Um, <laughs> it's also the world's largest democracy, for what it counts for. Um, uh, and uh, so that was always really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and And again, musicals like i i know like it seems absurd to you right <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it doesn't to me yeah um maybe because i like to sing and stuff and i sing in my house and whatnot mm-hmm. but i'm like it makes a lot of sense that there's a lot of tension about feelings i don't know what's gonna happen we're gonna sing about it yes, and then we're gonna come out with some resolution it's, just, it's the same way like a showdown happens in old right. cinema anyway so that's me that's me and um the the little, yeah so the other the other thing I wanted to mention, um, I don't really know how to segue to it, but is the movie High Fidelity, mm-hmm. um, which music. I love. Music, yeah. music. Yeah. Uh, High Fidelity was one of the first films that had this specific effect on me, mm. which is like to make me feel not crazy mm. and make me feel comfortable in my own skin. Mm. And it's mainly because of the way like John Cusack's character talks to us in the audience. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, <clears throat> and like one of the parts I remember so much from the first time I saw it is like the surreal way he talks to fantastical characters. Mm. Like he's in this room and he's like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, Bruce Springsteen's right there. Yeah. Without a beat, he's like, man, something, you know, I, I don't, yeah. the advice was about sort of relationships. And I was like, that's really, that is exactly how my brain works. <laughs> that yeah. I had to do that, you know, right. like I could, you know, and it's, it's funny and evocative, but it's not. No, it's not ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's sincere. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like a, you know, sort of a deep sincerity to the emotions yeah. in that film. And also how some like the emotions that he has towards his girlfriend and what she has towards him that like mm-hmm. they're messy. I mean, like that yeah, relationship right. is messy. They're all pretty messy. Yeah. And, and like, but it wasn't like um, other films which I had seen which have messy relationships where it's like it's bad and destructive mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just right, kind right. of like life seems to be a lot harder than we expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, things aren't working out the way that we wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I like you a little bit. <laughs> right, right, yeah. You know, and also, and also, and I just, you know, like, there's a line in that I always used to use where he's like, you know, he like talks about how his girlfriend is smarter than she is, mm-hmm. or smarter than he is, which is like, I mean, I, I I'd never heard a male character say that before mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. in any sort of right. forum. You know, and, and, and it, I mean, and, you know, and, my wife is very smart. Mm-hmm. She's smarter than me in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, certainly in the doctoring ways that she does for a living. Um, and uh, there was just something, because it, it felt respectful mm-hmm. and honest. Yeah, yeah. 
because um, it's like, is every male protagonist obvi- like obviously smarter and better than every female character in a film? I think they are. Yeah, I don't in, know. In Hollywood films. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so... And there were just... There were many things like that that signaled the reality of what I was watching. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this accords with my experience in the world. Mm-hmm. In that it captures both its, like, messiness, but also its positivity. Yeah. Because um, there, there are some films, like... I don't... I, what, what kind of example can I say? Um, what show? What show? What's the one where the mom sells weed? Is it Weeds? Weeds? Yeah. Weeds, yeah. yeah. Um... I started off really liking that show, mm-hmm. and then just everyone just turned into the, just a mess. Mm. And I was like, "This is I don't know anybody like this." Yeah, you know this like this sort of tension right about family dissolution mm. and personal mm-hmm. pain is yeah. in the comic realm. Mm. And you know, in some some extent, it's, it's like I don't know. I mean, I can't comment on the author, but like, do you know what tragedy is? Like, do you think mm-hmm. this is you know? I just it's off my palate, and I don't care. Yeah. Um, but High Fidelity was one of the first films I've seen it many times because mm-hmm. I, I saw it when I was like you know in high school yeah. that I was like you know it was like it's like an old couch mm-hmm. you can sit on that yeah, yeah, forever that, yeah. um, you know and, and from beginning to end like I sometimes don't even remember like what sequence stuff happens in mm-hmm. it doesn't even matter like I don't even yeah. know what to say <laughs> right you just like, know well, the parts yeah right you know and and you know again like well, how I felt interacting with these characters mm-hmm. and it also does this thing which I. I'm gonna draw a parallel to a film, which or movie or TV show, which you probably haven't seen, which is Arrow. It's on uh, only the first episode. Okay, so um, one of the things that I like, that I love about High Fidelity, mm-hmm. is you only see the store filled with people one time, mm-hmm. and it's one night when it's very busy, and Jack Black yeah. sells a copy of the Beta Band, I think, you know, <laughs> um, and and it it gives you a sense of what that place is, mm-hmm. even though you spend a lot of time. When it's like closed or during the day, yeah. yeah, and it's like you get to see them doing their in their element, yeah, and it really just sort of fleshes out those characters, mm-hmm. and and I don't really, it's my when I think of how that's done best, I think mm-hmm. of it in that film, yeah, and I think like in in Arrow, which I liked a little bit, mm-hmm. um, one of the things they do in the early episodes is like he spends like a good five ten minutes per episode like doing badass gymnastics mm. to show you. He's badass. Right. They eventually just get rid of it, and he's just badass <laughs> all the time for no reason. He gets hurt and gets better, and it's just sort of absurd. Right. But at the beginning, they spend a lot of attention saying, like, he was on an island for a good. long time. Mm-hmm. He does these really cool things with the chin-up bar. Right. He's real badass. That's why he's not dead. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, and I so... Back it up, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, love that element of the film. I mean, for me, I think high fidelity was important because, uh, especially, like... Coming out of high school into college, most of my uh, undergrad college years were spent, you know, in dorm rooms or apartments, like um, listening to music mm-hmm. and uh, mixing and DJing with friends. Yeah, um, we would just hang out for hours and do that, and uh, a lot of time spent in record store. And the, yeah. the college record store yeah. was like basically this record store. Mm-hmm. I remember we had uh, this is extreme, but we I was in the record store and these. Um, young uh girls came in and they were looking for because they sell like used cds and stuff too uh and they were like do you have like uh the latest britney spears and the worker was just kind of like uh i don't there's the bees over there like (laughs) but he was like you shouldn't buy that anyways like even if we have it (laughs) and uh so basically just kind of like 
when they didn't fit their taste, they were just kind of like, you're not welcome here. You know, like, yeah, yeah, they gave you the yeah. strong vibe right. of, like, you don't know what you're talking you're, about. You're a bad person. Yeah. yeah. And I felt, like, um, self-conscious, like, even talking to those guys. Yeah, yeah. And I felt like I kind of knew what I was talking about mm-hmm. or, like, wanted to hear new things. Yeah. So, uh, and I think in general, just seeing a film that portrayed, I think, the specificity you were talking about, yeah. like, John Cusack injected, like, things about himself in that because he was kind of in that world yeah interested in that kind of things uh whether it was like the way he dresses which Mm -hmm. he still kind of dresses that way but yeah uh you know his love of certain music um uh specific places in chicago that it was filmed that were important to him uh that those things all kind of add up to give it that um that authenticity Mm -hmm. and that feel for it and certainly i made mix cds and tapes for girls and some of them cared and some of them did not yeah. <laughs> and so like feeling that maybe like, i'm john Cusack. yeah basing like your uh, affections for somebody off of certain what certain songs have meant to you and mm-hmm. then like whether they connect or not yeah and and i think like talking about the messiness of the film one of the reasons like i also sort of fell for the film is because my wife really loved it yeah and so we connected sort of over it and so uh but also understanding like she she doesn't like get all the same references in that film that i do or like the same things don't connect to her or like we don't love all the same music or something mm-hmm. and there's still songs that i'm like oh this is amazing it means a lot and she's like oh, i don't really care about it um so uh yeah i think the reality of that and the way I think it did play with um, what was real and what wasn't real. They would go into these fantasy sequences yeah, yeah. and uh, just the way that you base your history on like music and things like that was yeah. very real to me at the time yeah. um, and how I sort of counted time through the years, yeah. you know, like when albums were released or something, mm-hmm. what I was listening to at a certain time. Yeah. Uh, so all those things, I think that was a very personal way of sort of telling a story um that you didn't see a lot yeah yeah and so i mean uh, uh, so riffing off the like the <clears throat> um like authenticity and reality thing which seems mm-hmm. to be a theme um we, i'll just briefly segue into something we talk endlessly about which is star wars yeah um i mean one of, i mean the the thing that i often t- tell you about mm-hmm. and then you know whenever i talk about star wars and and compare it old to new or other you know, other things to Star Wars is always like around the the we talk about like the lived in quality of that mm-hmm. world but for me it's like yeah. it's like specifically like the weight of like Han Solo's <laughs> blaster. Yeah yeah. Like when he unclicks it mm-hmm. and pull, slides it out um yeah. to kill Greedo mm-hmm. um it, there's something about that moment in the yeah. story um, you know, I'm, I'm a Han shot first kind of person. Just in general <laughs> yeah. for that. I didn't even know it mattered, but right, right. I'm clearly that person. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of solidified this world. Because again, I mean, just yeah, in, watch, in watching it, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, we're in a desert. Yeah. You had a punk kid. Mm-hmm. Crappy line about power converters. <laughs> right, right. You know, you got some like, weirdo sci-fi stuff. Mm-hmm. But you don't, you don't know. Like, yeah. it's up, for, you know, like, if you see it for the first time, it's up for grabs what we're, what's coming up next. Right. Go to Moss Eisley. It's, it, it's absolutely sealed. You right. know, like, this right. place is dirty. This is concrete. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, like, 
weird shit. These guys are ugly corners, and yeah. like no one, I mean like, and grumpy and mm-hmm. slimy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you're, yeah. Um, but they're like real characters too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's, and but there's never any sense that it's just a bunch of plasticine. Right. Um, you know, and even, um, and I think, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, again, I harp on this often, but like they just made everything. It's like mm-hmm. when they did Lord of the Rings, like someone made all that fucking chainmail, right. and that's what makes it good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like um, you and know, they designed and, it for as if it's different cultures. Yeah, um, too, like Star Wars would do as well. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and and so like there was, and so though we talked about many aspects of Star Wars, like the there's just like the weight of it and like you know the the physical design of the Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. um, you know in in, in in the world of sci-fi, there mm-hmm. there was nothing I can point to that was anywhere close to that. Mm. Um, in terms of like, this looks like a spaceship someone might actually fly. Yeah, you know, like it turns out that money still matters. You know, and mm-hmm. there's crime and there's a lot of crime and people yeah. get angry and you know, um, and things are complicated and the information isn't always shared and you know yeah. all that stuff. Um, when I sort of first encountered Star Wars, was just Mind blowing, mm-hmm. you know. And I was like, "How could I pay attention to anything else? There's nothing else like this." Right. Um, if I, you know, so if I want to watch something like this, there is one choice. <laughs> um, and as a probably, you know, as as a regular listeners will know, I, I used to have um, all three Star Wars on one one VHS tape that I would watch back to back. And I'll say that um, when I was a kid, um, it is it is one hundred percent true that uh, the Star Wars trilogy. Um, uh, and uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which we the, which consisted of the um, uh, um, Rankin and Bass Hobbit, mm-hmm. Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings, um, and the Rankin and Bass uh, Return of the King, mm-hmm. which we had on a single VHS tape. Um, they were like probably my my <laughs> single. They, they were like my refuge when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and things in my life were not awesome, you know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, in the summertime, like once a month, I would watch all of Star Wars yeah. and all of Lord of the Rings. Sometimes twice, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it, you know, like I, I um, it wasn't something that I uh, like necessarily planned mm-hmm. to do, but it was like it was the thing that was necessary. And, 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 yeah. and, and, and part of you know part of the reason why those stories function that way um, is one like. I mean, they're like epic stories, you know, mm-hmm. and we talk, you know, like they, they deal with archetypes. So there's lots of, you can like map a lot of evil onto mm-hmm. the evil characters in there. Um, you know, and it was, it, it was both specific and universal, like specific about space and these people, but universal in terms of like the hero's journey. You know, mm-hmm. and part of, you know, like the thing that's always compelling about the hero's journey just inherently is like, there's a problem you can't solve. Hero leaves. Yeah. And, and, and embarks on a journey which is possible mm-hmm. and comes back and then solves the problem. Right. You know? Um, and I think that, uh, you know, for challenges that I was facing in my life at the time, um, there didn't seem to be any good options. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the idea that there is a path, which mm-hmm. I think, which is often the, for me, the allure of any um, story which involves like a protagonist going on a journey. Right. Like they initially encounter something. It is impossible, mm-hmm. right? But there is a world in which they can go to, in which yeah. if they follow, if they stay true to their principles, <laughs> they can gain the capacity to come back and solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, the, the the reason why, like, I've never been comfortable with talking about, 
movies as escapism. Hmm. Um, it just never, it's never like it never felt like it described my experience. Yeah. Um, because like Luke destroyed the Death Star. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like <laughs> it, and I know that somehow sounds escapist, but um, <laughs> it's like he solved his, he fixed a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, he couldn't save his parents. I mean, he couldn't you know couldn't save his parents. He couldn't save yeah. his aunt and uncle. Um, but like the Death Star always got destroyed. Mm. And like and our here and like and like Lando and what ten nub or nub nub always like popped out of that thing at the last second and yeah. the Ewoks cheered. Like it happened every time I watched it. It was never different. Yeah. Um and the the that was always like really it was nice. Mm-hmm. It was you know like and it, and the thing that that I more than that, uh, like in the world of film, like nothing happens without purpose. Like people don't die just cause, right? Um, you know, and in, in, in some films they do, right? Mm-hmm. But not in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like everyone, I mean, Ben Kenobi dies when he wants to. Right. Yoda dies when he wants to. Like mm-hmm. every, like, it, yeah. I mean, stormtroopers get knocked off all the time, but like, like our protagonist is not gonna catch an errant laser blast and yeah. die. Yeah. And like that idea was mm-hmm. always so very compelling to me as a kid. It was a world that had order and right. things mattered and like random horrible bad things didn't happen mm-hmm. in this one his uncle and his aunt and uncle do die but it compels him on a journey which he redeems through his tremendous action of destroying the death star and saving millions of lives and saving the entire universe yeah um so even in that the the way in which his loss is redeemed was something which was always really compelling for me um, yeah i mean like I was a kid where we started talking about like telling stories yeah you know, people tell stories i think uh, other there's other ways of telling stories, but like in film, it's putting these ideas into a narrative that gives it that order, you know. Yeah. And I think it is comforting in some ways to know that um, you know our 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 regular lives when we're living them don't really have this like fine you know period on the end of things to yeah. say like here was that segment of my life and i you know went through this process and learned this lesson yeah and it's like a complete story um like things keep going on after it that. turns out yeah, yeah. And uh, so that it's it's nice to be able to watch those and have that um order put into it yeah. um to be able to do and i think in some ways i wonder even though I, now these days i watch some like hard to watch things like uh we talk about my love for the leftovers which is not an easy show to watch i mean that breaks your heart and then breaks your heart when after it broke your heart right right and but like it's still comfort comforting for me at the end of the day to sort of like watch something because i think it is like a contained unit that somebody created the story to tell me yeah um and put it together in a way that's compelling um that is comforting in some ways yeah yeah and um, so the other like so the I w- when I talk about watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy as a kid, I understand that like not everyone like considers these three films <laughs> that I mentioned as being the when, trilogy. When you first said that, I was like, was that out when you were a kid? Yeah. Oh, not the. Not so the I mean, and, I mean, like, yeah. so to be chronologically specific, mm-hmm. like um, the the Rankin and Bass Hobbit roughly covers the Hobbit. Yeah. Uh, Ralph Bakshi's uh, Lord of the Rings covers. Um, Mo, uh, the Fellowship of the Rings mm-hmm. and like half of the Two Towers. Yeah. And if, have you ever seen it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, we don't know what's going on at the end. <laughs> it's, I mean, it. That's. I, I think in reading about it, it's supposedly like the orcs amassing to fight at Helm's mm-hmm. Deep. Mm-hmm. 
I don't. I mean, right. like, I, it never happens. Like you only <laughs> know that because you read the book. You know it happened, but yeah. Yeah, and and uh, the Return of the King is essentially, um, uh, you know, the the last book the last of book, the yeah. yeah. Uh, and it, it covers a little bit of. I mean, it's. I don't. You mean like you can watch The Hobbit and watch that and sort of get a complete story <laughs> say, but yeah. i mean but yeah i mean but like i and like i'm and i know peter i know a lot of stuff in the in the peter jackson stuff is inspired by bakshi's lord of the rings so i think it he visually represents a lot of stuff in a way that so you know right, yeah. yeah um and i think there's some things that he gets uh better it, it's yeah. a rotoscope so like it's yeah. people moving and then he does it i mean i i i never liked um peter jackson's galadriel in totality mm. Um, I think she's she's more sinister um, in his version than mm. she is in the book. Yeah, and in back she that. she's like much more reserved. Mm. Um, and like the the scene with the water is much more tasteful. Mm. Um, I think you know Peter Jackson never does it. Um, <laughs> you know, because because there's that line you know she says you know in in place of a dark. Emperor, you would have a queen, and right. all would love me in despair. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that line, like, all would love me in despair, it's like this thing that I've always loved, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's two parts, it's very, it, it's like very, very concise, mm-hmm. um, which I think is what is how I appreciate her. Mm. Been around for a long time, yeah. She created this place, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like, it's a, you know, like, it's having read the Cimmerian, like, it she has a very important role. I mean, like, she, she establishes sort of the protective, um magical girdle which extends and creates this forest um, and keeps it the way that it is um, uh, uh, and so uh, there's the other point in, in the which I also like better um, in the animated versions which is when um, I am I not remember it when um, Theoden's daughter mm-hmm. uh, or no, not daughter but um, niece or something niece um, like defends him. Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing they cannot remember her name. Um, uh, and fights the king of the Nazgul. Yeah. Because um, one, I like the the Nazgul in the Rankin and Bass version better. Because mm-hmm. um, he he is he is drawn exactly the way he's described in the book, mm. with two piercing white eyes and a small like a simple circlet above his head. Yeah. Um, I think the cool, you know, the cool Nazgul face thing, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's fine. Yeah. But I like the one in the Rankin of Bass better. Um, and she has this line in there when she eventually kills him. She says, like, you know, be you living or dark undead, you know, mm-hmm. I, I am no man but a woman. And, you know, and, and, and which the, the Peter Jackson skips this part about be you living, mm-hmm. you know, be you evil living or dark undead. Yeah. Um, which is like, there's a, there's not a whole lot of poetry um, mm-hmm. in Tolkien, but it's like, you it's one of my lines that I like the most. Anyway, yeah. this is far afield from my original <laughs> purpose. Um, but, uh, well, so the value of the films for me, again, was like um, to start the journey. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing that, because sometimes when, the way I would watch them, and I don't know, how, you know if everyone does this, like I would put it on and I wouldn't, I would usually watch it. Like somebody in my house would watch it. All the way through. Sometimes it wasn't always me, exactly. and sometimes I would come in in the middle. Um, but the idea that um, this story was started, and then it would travel for a period of time, and that things, these same sort of things, I mean, it would end. And I guess, like you could say that true about any movie mm-hmm. that you watch a whole lot and that you love. Mm-hmm. But there was something about like 
this epic story mm-hmm. that had um, like a comforting presence, is like a comforting mm-hmm. effect, you know, on me. Yeah. And it was, you know, and it was like, in some sense, it was also like very, very much felt like mine. Mm. Like I didn't know anybody else that, that had the, you know, the. the I mean, the, 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 these three adaptations mm. that they would watch, sort of back to back, it was sort of my thing, yeah. you know. Um, uh, and I mean to be. To be uh, part of that, when I talk about the trouble when I was a kid, like my mother passed away when I was nine, um, and I like, among other things, uh, I like never talked about it with my dad, mm. which is something that you know I'm 37 years old. I, I didn't really realize that or the effects of that on me until the last year or so <laughs> in going through therapy and you know and talking about it and thinking more critically about that in my life. Um, but it was like super important person in my life. My mom dies. Mm. Just silence in my life, mm. um, and it was never uh, it was never really afforded an appropriate opportunity or venue to grieve. I think mm. it's really um, parents put a lot of challenging or adults put a lot of challenging expectations on children to how they handle grief. Right. But um, one of the functions of the Lord of the Rings was um, it was like a, it was like a set of train tracks on which I could have emotion, mm. right? Because, I mean, yeah. like, and, like, because when it, when it ends, I'm mean, pretty mm-hmm. so, like, at the end of The Hobbit, uh, at, the, at, at the end of the Battle of Five Armies, you have John Huston as um, Gandalf, who I think mm-hmm. is fabulous, you know? Yeah. You know, and, and there's the, like, Frodo goes and talks to, a couple weeks he goes to talk to Thorin, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's, they, they grieve. There's grieving that happens, and there's sadness. And as a kid, like I would just weep at that moment, <laughs> yeah, um, because I it was like I didn't have an opportunity to do that on my own. You needed that, really yeah. And it was, and it was like you know, it was like I'm crying, you know, like I, I I would have said like, oh, this is just very sad. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't recognize that. Doesn't everyone have this like gigantic <laughs> like well of negative emotion that they have to cry about? Because <laughs> right. I certainly do. You know, I just didn't recognize mm-hmm. it as weird. And the same is true with the like with the end. Um, you know, when, when, uh, Frodo and, um, Bilbo, like, board the, uh, the white ships, the Grey oh, yeah, Havens, yeah. and sail yeah. to the land beyond, sail back to Valinor, um, which, uh, in the book is just sad, mm-hmm. and it's also so very sad in the movie, mm-hmm. um, because the story is over, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it, right. our, our heroes don't die in a blaze of glory, yeah, they survive, mm-hmm. And it's pretty shitty. Yeah. Like, we won. Right. Lots of people are dead. Mm-hmm. And we're leaving because yeah. we've been so, you know, because Frodo and Bilbo, so um, scarred by the burden of carrying the ring mm-hmm. that they can't even live in the world anymore. Right. They have to go Boy, somewhere yeah. else. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, given, like, in, in the in the grand cosmology of it like it's a better place mm-hmm. but that's not the sense you get when right. you're reading it or the sense you get when you're watching it it's a and 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 somehow like their departure um it was for me always like more emotional than a death because mm. in some sense like and it just always was yeah. and, and it was like an, and again i would now would just just weep you know like you know from you know as soon as the i mean um Again, the music changes towards the end of the Battle of Minas Tirith, so you know that it's coming, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I would just sort of pour tears all, all over <laughs> myself um, watching the end of it. And and it and it it was 
really valuable for me because it was one of the few places mm-hmm. that I could sort of experience those emotions. And and so that's like that's a lot of the function of this like the movie itself. And um, I suppose they're like it's entirely possible that others could have other things that do that for them. I don't yeah. think it's unique about this, but there was something about again like um, in like a embarking on this hero's journey mm-hmm. um, that was like compelling and sort of a sort of attached it, I, I was able to attach myself to it mm-hmm. and the ending because in the, in the ending of both of those of at the end of the hobbit and the end of return of the king it's like a very melancholy ending yeah and it's not you know like it's not like woohoo right um I mean, and, all they talk about, like, Sam and Frodo on this journey is, like, we can't wait to get back home yeah. to the Shire, do, like, you know, go to the pub and have our, you know, quiet summer evenings and yeah. smoke a pipe. But, like, like you said, like, they can't go back to those sort of mundane things after yeah. their experience, which is which is a heavy burden. Yeah, and, and not always, like, that always. So, like, I, I always identified with Frodo. Mm. Right, you know what I mean? It's not mostly Frodo yeah. and also Sam. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I could probably everybody, but, yeah. it, like, in in the departure, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, I, Frodo was, I mean, it's like, he also, he, like, the, the terrible burden he had to bear is recognized, mm-hmm. which is also something that I always, I was like, mm-hmm. I looked at, like, I wish, you know, I could be like, like, I could yeah. be like Frodo, like, because yeah. of suffering through this, Stuff I get to go somewhere to, and I was also Sam on the shore, who was like just watching the most important people go. <laughs> right, right. But you, you can't, yeah. you know, and um, you know, and and as a child, I didn't really encounter. I mean, I just didn't encounter much of that in any other story. That like the ending's usually big, and mm-hmm. you succeed, yeah. and in in they do, mm-hmm. but it's not without a cost. Right. Um, and the world that is left after that battle is hmm. mediocre at best. Right, right. Um, you know, because even though it's done, mm-hmm. um, the fact that it's done is also a source of great sadness. Yeah. Um, we've beaten. I mean, like, what else is there to do? Like, we like right. we killed all the Nazgul. Like, we beat Thoron. Like, fucking. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just windmills after this, I guess. You know. I mean, um, even in Star Wars with Darth Vader, I mean, just in the original trilogy, yeah. like, he is redeemed in some yeah. sense, but he doesn't live, and so we are sort of left with, like, well, he, like, Luke sort of brought him back, yeah. but, like, he died, so we don't really get that, like, full understanding of that experience, like... Yeah, and it's also not how there. Luke would have liked it to have gone. Right, right. Um, and I think we see a lot of pain in him in that last scene yeah um and he doesn't really do things the right way you know like um and they nicely carried that through to the last jedi that he often like misunderstands what's happening (laughs) and doing the right thing um but he's earnest and and what he's trying to do yeah um which i think is good yeah uh would you say like so that's important in your personal life. Yeah. And how you developed in your relationships to film and those yeah. films. Is there a way that you see like you want to communicate in that in your own creative work? Oh, that's, an like, that's an interesting question. That's an interesting question. 
I mean, is that why you want to write this story kind of about, like, myths? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, like, I, um, I mean, I'm a big believer in, um, like, the power of archetypes, mm-hmm. you know, and, or just, like, stories that are, are, are very universal, mm-hmm. you know, that are based on some fundamental relationships that people have, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it be a father or a son or mm-hmm. uh, someone you care about. Right. Um, you know, and there's also, uh, and so because I think that those, those are the stories that have survived. Mm-hmm. Like, right. you know, like whether it's Japan or India or, you know, places in Africa, mm-hmm. like the stories that survive yeah. are these stories that, ha- that have, are very rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and they tell these journeys oftentimes of right. people. Sometimes it's, you know, like it's a small journey in a, in a place with a family, mm-hmm. but um, I, I mean, I just, they're just, I think, inherently more compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and it, which is not to say that you can't do that with a non-mythical character. Yeah. Um, you, they just have to, your non-mythical character has to be good. Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and in some sense, both like very specific and very universal at the same time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of middle ground, like the committee designed <laughs> people that just doesn't cut it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and so, I mean, like I love the musical Hamilton. You know, and so like Hamilton and Burr are, are both like these very specific people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they're also these two ways of approaching the world. Mm-hmm. You know, like Hamilton with his effusiveness yeah. and combativeness and Burr with his reserved qualities and his patience. Mm-hmm. And ultimately they're both wrong, right? You know, yeah. there's, there's we, we, we learn too far after the fact that there is <laughs> room enough in this world for both Hamilton and Burr, yeah. right? And right. there is, meaning that there is room in in a single person for both of these ways of being and approaching the world. Um, But I mean, one of the reasons why I I would say more is, like, I want to tell this story about, I mean, ultimately, The the Land Without Song is about, it's a retelling of the Orpheus myth, um, uh, but it's also a story about um, about Hades. I mean, in, I mean, like, I don't know, uh, in in the story, Hades creates the underworld. Mm-hmm. His wife and child are killed in a horrible tragedy in the very beginning days of the world. He, mm-hmm. he at that point, was the world's, the world's greatest mortal poet. He sings a, a song so filled with sorrow and, <laughs> and anger at the gods for the unjust death of his family while he's off yeah. um, at war, um, uh, that they are, are compelled to come to him mm-hmm. and essentially say, oh, yeah, you know, like... Yeah. It's kind of kind of unfair what we did. Do you have a solution? And you know, and he he barters with them essentially and creates this underworld, which is a, a place where people go when they die. Right. Um, he needs you know it, due to legality and whatnot. He he needs to be separated from the regular world. and needs to be a space in and out, which is where he enlists yeah. Sharon, the, the boatman of his town, to be there. Um, but he uh, one of the things you learn about the, the underworld in in my rendering is that. Um, Everyone goes there, mm-hmm. um, but you choose to leave, mm-hmm. right? And, and the, the, I mean, everyone who goes, who spends, you know, they can speak because it's a place without time. Yeah. You can be there as long as you want to sort of learn what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you choose oblivion, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it's the way I have it sort of rendered in the story is he, he takes, he takes the people out into the water and they're gone. You know, I tend to shoot it in the um, near the Apostle Islands, where it has these beautiful caves here in northern Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's in, Hades is initially this um, horrible character who is like 
you know, refusing to compromise with Orpheus, and he, he's the underworlds, of course, that he's bad. Yeah. Um, but he created this place and this concept to help um, people deal with the horribleness of death. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, you know and, and it's challenging and hard. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons it's called The World Without Song is he's a, he's a poet, but he, he, a poet and a songwriter. And he, he spends enough time with people that he writes a song for each and every one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't sing them. He, yeah. he keeps them in books. So, you know, um, uh, what he says in conversations with or, or Eurydice about it is like, how could I sing one of them? Right. Yeah. You know, how could I choose one of these millions of people mm-hmm. that I've ushered um, in their last moments into nothingness and not sing all of them? Um, uh, you know, and part of the part, of, you know, part of my motivation to tell that story is to have like a story that's about death mm-hmm. um and i'm hoping i mean to have like a story about the experience of death mm-hmm. from someone who like uh, from uh, someone who loses someone close to them yeah uh cuz i often think i mean my experience with uh, death and grief and loss is that it's far more illogical mm-hmm. than it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's supposed to be I mean, like the other people who expect it to be. Right. And like that, like as a kid, I was very much oppressed by like the ways in which people expected me to grieve about mm-hmm. things. Um, uh, and I just, I, I would want to create a film that. Uh, when you watch it, you you have a sense like you have this some this sense of what the the the, the true loss of of d- death mm-hmm. is about. I mean, because mm-hmm. people I mean people like people die all the time, and people yeah. die in films all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's um, I mean, I, this is fairly well, but it's like to to understand the sacredness of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like a religious person, but like it is like. We often recognize the miraculousness of birth, but it's also special. Like, it's mm-hmm. the only way we get here. Right. Um, and all of us, we will all die. Mm-hmm. I think much of our culture sort of tries to deny that, like, maybe, right. like, maybe not this time, or like, maybe not forever, <laughs> but like, we do. And it's good. Like, we, I mean, I, at least I, be, I have this sense mm-hmm. that I believe that, like, I don't think living forever would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. And, nor do I think we need it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, you know, like, uh, and so there's, I mean, like, what, like, what, what does the world, if you aren't scared of your own death, <laughs> like, what else does this world have for you? You know, like, like, yeah, what, yeah. what, what else can, can be done to you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if you, if you, what, like, what is it, what does it say about your life if you willingly choose the end of it? You know, you know, and yeah, yeah. and because I think what it means is like it, it many times it like it, it redeems your life. Mm-hmm. I think I mean this is like a I think a lot of things in our culture keep pushing us for more and more of everything. Right. Um. And it and in some sense it strips us of meaning. Yeah. Um. And uh. And I think, um, it it and it, it's a, there's also I mean of course, um like the. Uh, like like Hamilton, like like Burr. I mean Burr. He like he in in his signature song, um, wait for it. He, 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 there's a couple lines in there about like everyone who has loved me has died, which is a mm-hmm. line that I always find very evocative. And and Hades is a is a custodian mm-hmm. for like the dead. 
yeah. you know, and, and he, he isn't, I mean, like, I don't know, he's not dead. I mean, he, he's, right. he, he's a mortal person with a, with a particularly, with a particular area in which he has power. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, he, and and also try to convey in this film the experience of being an usher of the dead. You know, having lost so many important yeah. people in my family and mm-hmm. in, you know, in my larger family to death. Mm-hmm. Which eventually, like, by the time all of us go world, that will be the case. Like, mm-hmm. we will all watch our parents right. die. We will all watch our grandparents die. We will all lose friends. Like, this mm-hmm. will be, this is a, an intimate part of what right. it means to be alive in this place. Um, that that's a perspective that I, I can't can't point to anything um, to to find. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know novels. I don't know movies mm-hmm. that sort of... Because uh, we, we, this is who we are. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'm getting all this way, but I mean, like, we are all in some sense uh, custodians for the those that have are passing or have passed. Mm-hmm. People have died in their lives. Their stories are gone without us to tell them. Right. Um, and I, I just don't... I think that it, there's... The world that was presented to me as a kid, the world that's presented to a lot of people, is like they're people, and then you lose them, and then there's grief, and then you are okay. Right. And and the, the okay is is like different, you know. <laughs> I mean, but pretty much the same as before. Right. Where it's like I don't. Mike's my thinking about my life being that way mm-hmm. has never helped me, hmm. but thinking about going forward through losses, change, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 understanding that. Uh, how death can be important and meaningful, even if it's not desirable. Mm-hmm. Um, it just uh, so that's I mean part of that and part of the way in which, like I imagined, you know, or that I remember, like sort of like weeping at this, the ending of this film because it felt like a feeling that mm-hmm. I felt, but couldn't express that's on my own. Yeah. You know, I, I hope to create a similar sort of business in this film where mm-hmm. you know, like we we eventually see Hades. Take someone out. Mm-hmm. Really see. I, I, I mean, yeah. been, you know, take someone out into this, to the beautiful waters. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're gone, and he comes back, sort of with this. You know, it's like a weight from having done right. that, but it's also like this is why he's here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like that person was ready mm-hmm. to do that. Right. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I'd hope that someone who could see that, mm-hmm. and you know, and 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 have this abstract and mythical presentation. Yeah of uh, a death because it doesn't happen that way mm-hmm. um, and have it be uh, feel right mm. you know and have it be evocative mm-hmm. for them yeah. um, you know in a way that like um, talking about like in Hugo like the way in which these these films have an have a, a way of connecting with the, the part of you that dreams you know mm-hmm. the part like because dreams make sense like there yeah. is a world inside of all of us that is not logical, yeah. um, and and feels and believe you know and believes in fantastical images and is real. I mean, like, um, and I I though I want to tell a, a, a real story with people, mm-hmm. um, I also want to like connect to that dreaming part. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, like to pull together some of what we're talking about, like for us, I think some of the experiences we've had ourselves with the film. Uh, capture this sort of unknown space. Yeah. Sort of like inner side of ourselves or like emotions that we can't quite express that we recognize. And I think that hits people a lot more than they sort of realize or think about in some ways. I mean, even like a 
romantic comedy. Like, at this point, they're very cliched and formulaic. You know, like, things are happy and going to go well, and then there's that point where there's, like, miscommunication or whatever, and they sort of, like, get pulled apart, and then they have to get back together. But, like, we've all sort of experienced that. Yeah. Like, it's a universal sort of, like, feeling or, like... Um, sort of the heartbreak of that um, of not being with someone that we want to be with or whatever so I think like film is uh, can can do that in a more visceral uh, way closer yeah. to our lived experience um, than other art forms even though it can be done in novels and yeah. things like that like it's uh, it's like I said I'm using that word experience a lot but it, it kind of captures that liminal space um, in between uh, the unknown and sort of that mystery that I like and and like you said I mean maybe you haven't totally found like uh, what you're trying to convey with death yeah. or something like that but uh, I think the sort of poetry of film can do that in some ways mm-hmm. like um, again the Ter- Terrence Malick like the thin red line in the very opening there's kind of this like montage of shots um, in the environment where it starts out but there's like a shot of this like crocodile like diving into this pool of sort of murky water in the forest and like for many ways you're like what does that have to do with anything um, maybe it's just environmental is showing this kind of swampy uh, region but I think you could also read things like that as this sort of we're going to be diving into sort of the depths of um, what war means and what mm-hmm. it means to individuals and it's going to be dirty and dark and not a great place to be. Mm-hmm. And we soon see like these uh, soldiers who are essentially AWOL and they're sort of living this natural life on this island with the, uh, the local people. Mm-hmm. And uh, they seem very happy, but they soon get sucked back into this metal ship. It's dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you know that they don't want to go back to war, basically. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's those sort of visual representations that I think when we can sort of study films like that, um, can understand how it taps into those sort of uh, raw sort of emotions or human condition that we sometimes don't even know what's happening when we're watching you know animated versions of lord of the rings that we might not know why we're crying um until many years later but um, i also like to think about your family coming and seeing you sobbing too like a fantasy yeah if if they ever caught you but yeah um yeah i mean i think uh hope that's kind of the hope is to be able to to convey those things to Mm -hmm. others the things that we feel and i think the things that are successful uh sort of find their audience um in that way uh is this a good place to kind of wrap things up yeah did you have any well i I mean i the one thing we haven't mentioned that was part of our main list was uh like the films of wong kar wai Mm -hmm. um and that i think the way i can relate it is um there's something about um I don't know if it's like the pacing mm-hmm. of those films, mm-hmm. but like I can watch like two minutes of nearly any <laughs> of his films, and they and they convey this this sense of being in a different place. Yeah. Um, and um, that is all. I mean, like, and so that, mm-hmm. and I and I, I've never spent, uh, I haven't spent enough time to sort of isolate what that is, mm. 
but I mean, it's almost like they exist in their own world, yeah. in like, his own universe. Where like the, the universe in which I watch Wong Kar Wai's films yeah, right. is its own space. It's its own space. Yeah, I mean, um, in some ways, I think he plays with time and space. Yeah. A little bit like there's uh, slow down shots. I mean, not a lot of people use this now, but there's sort of like the um, slow shutter sort of style yeah. uh, that gives it. Um, but it's very environmental. You know, I I think of shots of like you know um, water running down windows when it's raining and people yeah. reflecting and kind of this melancholy feel to it. Um, that that sort of gets inside people's heads kind yeah. of it gives me that sense and, uh, yeah. yeah and it's also I mean the, just the detail that's always spent to like the space in which people are in mm-hmm. you know like it's not like we're just focusing on this thing yeah. you know again in, in total contrast to Scorsese it's like <laughs> an apartment yeah people in there yeah maybe they say mm-hmm. maybe they say some stuff mm-hmm. um, and the other thing that I like about um, his films too, uh, not all of them are this way, but many of them have like multiple protagonists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd never seen that before. Mm-hmm. Um, I know other people do it. But um, I mean, there's just so much about that that I like. And that, you know, it's like, again, it's like, uh, there's there's no clear protagonist in my life. <laughs> in like a, there's lots of people doing lots of different yeah. things and there are lots of different stories. Um, and he, but very few films are that way. Yeah. Um, but his films often feel that way, you know, in mm-hmm. some sense, you know, even more so than many documentary projects where it's mm-hmm. like, we're in a space, you know, and, and he, yeah. like, there are people that want things and like, there are right. narrative films. Um, but I always had the sense of, uh, watching what unfolds in a, in a place yeah. as opposed to following like a particular person. Mm-hmm. And that always had a, like a very, was like a very calming hmm. effect. Like I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. happy to sit and watch what transpires at this. Mm-hmm you know, little roadside shop. Right, right. Or, you know, in this apartment or in mm-hmm. this little town. Yeah. Um, and from what I understand, he... And I, I'm probably talking a lot about this sort of blend of... Um, sort of documentary and, and uh, fiction, but mm-hmm. narrative film. But he takes quite a while to make his films. Mm-hmm. And I think he shoots a lot of things that ends up not using and sort of finds the the shape of it as yeah. he sort of works on it and shoots more um and i don't i don't wouldn't say that it's a lot uh improvised as far as like dialogue and stuff but yeah. i think it's more there's a lot outside of sort of the dialogue moments mm-hmm. in his film that kind of add up to to give you that experience of place or um, group yeah of characters that i think he he must sort of develop in the moment um to be able to get and again like collaborators he was worked with the same cinematographer quite a bit yeah. and so I think they must have to have some sort of language between each other mm-hmm. communication that um, it comes together in a, in a nice way yeah. and I mean there's also I mean I, can't, I haven't done a deep analysis of it but there's a, a lot of what I remember of like the dialogues in a lot mm-hmm. of his film where like there's often like a lot of chit chat yeah before you get to it yeah, and some chit chat afterwards, mm-hmm. in a way that, again, like it, it gives me a very, uh, it's a very calming effect. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. oh, like um, mm-hmm. I'm just just chilling out here. Right. Just talking about some stuff. Uh-huh. Some of it's important. Right. Um, but it, yeah. I, I guess it, it'll. Requ- it, mm, I'm not I'm not comfortable <laughs> with this metaphor, but it's like sitting outside, like watching a park or something. Mm-hmm. You, you have to apply your attention. 
Mm-hmm. In order to get the most out of it, like you have to choose to look at those birds or that mm-hmm. tree. Yeah. In this film, like you have to pay. Like not every line of dialogue is important. important yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, it's important. Yeah. But not every line of dialogue conveys the same. It's not like we've got it. Like there's a bomb on the bus. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of like it, it really does seem to move in chunks. Like mm-hmm. we're going to spend a little bit of time in this place. Yeah. And when it's all done, at some point during that time, we learn something which is also helpful over here. Mm-hmm. But it's, it doesn't have the same sort of chain and string that draws you in. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. there are plenty of times in I think it's in Chunking Express where like scene starts, big important thing. Yeah. And then we're like, we'll just hang out for a while. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And that kind of. Yeah, that that always made it feel. It was like very inviting, mm-hmm. you know. It was mm-hmm. like it, it invited you to live in this place. And again, like it, and I think because of that, it had like such, um, like such a feeling of these are really these people. Yeah, you know. I mean, yeah. also it, it benefited being a foreign film. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't actually know them, many of them, yeah. and actors in other projects. But like the the authenticity was always particularly. Like, I know I love the way he does. I love his cop characters. Yeah. Um, they always seemed great. You know, and like, uh, totally. I was going to mention this, uh, I don't know exactly ties in, but he, like, it's weird for us, I think, in America, like, we don't necessarily know the whole um, film industry there the way that we might be more familiar with, like, Hollywood and stuff, history, but apparently, like, uh, one of the main female actors in Chung Express is a pretty famous pop star, and then uh, one of the male actors is like one of the biggest sort of actor hunky stars of mm-hmm. that time period. And I think like you and I probably didn't know those things when we saw it and they seem very natural. Um, but I think there's even another layer happening there that he's using very iconic people in yeah. Japan uh, to play sort of against their type, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause like in Chunking Express, the one female is, like very weird sort of the one that works in the shop she does very like weird maybe illegal things um but she's very endearing too um as we watch her uh yeah so i think there's there's also these interesting commentaries that he's doing it's um you know i don't know like if tom cruise was in some sort of quirky little movie um sort of a playing against type and wasn't the sort of action hero that he always magnolia yeah Maybe Magnolia, yeah. Didn't like it. Was that? I didn't like it. You didn't like it, yeah. I don't love Magnolia, but um, yeah, I, I think it's cool that he's doing other things um, alongside us. But it it can hit audiences in different ways, um, and how we view that. Yeah. Uh, but I know there's probably not a more beautiful film for me than In the Mood for Love. Yeah. Um, it's just so lovely, and actually the way like the camera almost like swings back and forth between the two pre- protagonists too. Mm-hmm. Even though that film is a little more centered, it's it's about the place they're in, yeah, and the time. But it's also kind of like swings back and forth, um, kind of interchangeably. And I don't know many filmmakers that do that sort of thing mm-hmm. the way that he can kind of pull that off. Yeah, I think around that time, especially probably more of Quentin Tarantino's influence, which he has acknowledged his sort of like shifts in uh character and um and time and stuff was influenced by Wong Kar Wai yeah but there was a lot of people trying to do that sort of thing and sort of have this convergence of different characters and different stories coming together in some way and it never really like came together yeah I mean again like I've never I'm 
I'm sure there. I'm sure I could probably even if I sat sat and thought about it, come up yeah. with some other films that do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, like, I mean, it doesn't. Again, like, it, I mean, I, I don't know, like, the uh, enough about the context of mm-hmm. sort of a cinema that it comes out of. Um, but it, it's not like a gimmick. Yeah. I mean, it's an essential part of the story. Mm-hmm. You know. You know, and it's like it's, it's you can't really separate it out yeah. from the story because then it would. I mean, it wouldn't work. Um, yeah, and, and and I I just again like there's something about that that deeply accords with how the I think the like how the world is. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as I love like grand journeys of heroes, <laughs> um, if you're gonna tell a story, you know, a story about a time and a place, um, it's nice to that there are lots of people that sort of share the focus and spotlight mm-hmm. in that story. Yeah, yeah, and I would connect to that film a lot too to like uh, Breathless and my experience of it, like. Maybe not totally intentionally, somewhat intentionally, but I associate a lot of sort of just like cool factor with those films. Yeah. And I don't think all of it's like totally intentional. Um, but there's also, I think, filmmakers who can just kind of like pull that off. Yeah. Um, like they're sort of telling stories in different ways and with different styles, but like still pretty cool. Um, the characters and things like that that uh, you sort of want to emulate. Yeah. yeah, and I also think I mean it. I just think it's in. I mean, like the 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 the, the prospect mm-hmm. of writing a, a film that has multiple protagonists or a protagonist shift in there. It's yeah. like writing more than one story, <laughs> right? Um, and you know, it just seems it, it's a kind of a narrative complexity and density mm-hmm. um, that is, you know, again, fairly unique. And yeah. in, in my experience of it, you know really exciting when I, you know, sort of watch it. Because, I mean, like, again, like, I, I may see it somewhere else, but mm-hmm. seeing it in his films, like, is what inspired me. And, and, when, yeah. and, and like, when I think about that, I think about that, you know. And mm-hmm. When, you know, when I, I think it's in Chunking Express when there, there are the two cops sort of that switch. Yeah. Um, like, one cop goes, it, it is his long yeah. shot. Yeah, this is one cop goes down and, like, checks out this one box. Mm-hmm. And then and the other cop sort of, picks it up and moves along and I yeah. was like there's never been a scene like that in any film I've ever seen <laughs> you know because then we yeah, then, then it's the next cop right you know and I move on to the yeah. Answer, yeah um and I was just like you know I in and and another one of those things that honestly like if I made films for 100 years I never would have done that <laughs> you know I, I yeah right yeah. Not, not even thought of it yeah 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 but we have to trust in our own uh yeah I would have come up with something different and cool yeah. I guess yeah cool um so that's the point I think we can wrap that's up. That's the point. Right? Now that we've done um, Cool. I think we went to some good places uh, with thinking through some of this influences. I'll try to put a list up maybe of some of the, most of the films we've mentioned here. Yeah. So that if people want to check those out when we kind of yeah. mention them in passing, um, we would highly recommend it. And if you want to give us any feedback, um, you can email us at extratextualshow at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you or uh, find us on um, the Twitters or the Facebooks or whatever you want to do to kind of contact us that way, too. And let us know if you ever want to mention a topic for us to talk about. And we'll try to do that as well. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. This has been Extra Textual.